It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's totally free. Best way you can help out. Uh, or you can also become a patron. Both uh, uh, require just going to the website, thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, there you can subscribe. You can also link up to the Patreon page where uh, you know you make a donation and then you get access to the exclusive content, the live reads and, or the uh, uh, live streams, I should say. And uh, you get the bumper stickers. We're going to be doing an event uh, hopefully here in the coming uh, weeks now that stuff is allowed to reopen. Uh, also, I need to apologize. The pollen is finally getting to me. <laughs> and so that's my voice sounds a little harsh today. I can hear it. Maybe you can't. Uh, if you can't, well, uh, you're too kind. Thanks so much. Um, also, thank you to patrons of the program like Mary and Casey and Stephanie, Christian, Joshua, Dan, Eric, Cindy, and David and Grant. I appreciate you guys all becoming uh, patrons to the show. You can as well. Again, thepetecalendarshow.com. Two North Carolina political figures were prominently featured in a congressional hearing on election integrity. You had the uh, the lefty preacher, Reverend William Barber, and uh, you had conservative Republican Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Both men are black, and they represent diametrically opposing views on voter ID laws. Reverend Barber has made it his life's mission to lift people up. This is... Uh, U.S. Congresswoman, former uh, state representative Deborah Ross, she introduces uh, Reverend Barber at the uh, hearing and uh, listen to how she describes the Moral Monday demonstrations. He's been a champion for voting rights and people's rights, both in North Carolina and on the national stage. He led the charge in securing same day voter registration in North Carolina in 2007. While I was the one who introduced the bill in the General Assembly, I know that it would not have passed without Reverend Barber's advocacy and leadership. Reverend Barber is the architect of the moral movement, which began as a weekly Moral Monday protest at the North Carolina General Assembly in 2013. And I served in the General Assembly at that time. During these gatherings, which I witnessed on Monday nights, Protesters found themselves locked out of the General Assembly and arrested for exercising their First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievance, <laughs> even though there was never a threat huh? to those inside. I never felt threatened. OK, so she never felt threatened by the moral Monday moon battery that was occurring every single week at the General Assembly. Uh, they were yelling and screaming, staging sit-ins and demonstrations, getting up in the face of lawmakers or faces of lawmakers. But she never felt threatened, you see. So that means nobody did. And for folks who were not around back then, and I guess there are a lot of people in North Carolina who were uh, not here back in the Moral Monday heyday. Um, this was the lefty's response to being tossed out of power in the 2010 election. The Tea Party wave that put Republicans in um, throughout all these Democrats. And they look, they they'd been in charge for over a century. 
They lost all of their legislative power after a series of scandals over you know the, the previous decade before 2010. The state Democratic Party had been basically gutted after scandals involving a string of like executive directors. They were all ousted over various allegations. And at one point, the Democratic Party was like this close to losing its headquarters in Raleigh because they couldn't afford it. And it, it just they were in such disarray. So bad. Former U.S. Senator Kay Hagan, Democrat, she used the Wake County Democratic Party for her uh, campaign backbone for the support structure because the state party was in such bad shape. She lost to Tillis. That was 2014. Okay, so the Moral Monday filled this void that the state Democratic Party uh, and its collapse had left. And it allowed leftists and Democrats, but I repeat myself too, uh, organize all to, you know, glowing, fawning media coverage every Monday that they're just out there for the people, you know, uh, using the, the blueprint NC uh, plan, right? This literally, this is the infrastructure and the plans that were enacted in other states like Colorado. Um, they use tactics like the ones that we saw deployed previously in Wisconsin in the legislature. Remember with Governor Scott Walker when he was trying to uh, uh, allow people not to have to join unions and like to like to have it an opt in kind of a system. And so there were these massive demonstrations, remember, and they like took over the legislative building. And the whole point is to stop all legislative action. That's the purpose, which is intimidation. That's what it's all about. So this idea that she didn't feel threatened. And so the Moral Monday movement was just, you know, all about empowerment. No, it was about threats and intimidation. That was the point. They call it civil disobedience. And then they they all went down and volunteered to get arrested because there would be zero consequences for doing so. They got, quote, arrested and then they were all let go. And then they had like these, you know, oh, you're going to have to appear. And then all of those charges got tossed out, too. Nobody did any time. Nobody got in any serious trouble. But to the leftists like this was like, this is the 60s all over again. They needed a cause. And so uh, the Moral Monday movement filled that need for them. Plus, it had the uh, the benefit of being led by a member of the clergy, a minority member of clergy. And so you got the whole, hey, we're Christians, too, kind of inoculation going. <laughs> you had that aspect as well. Oh, yeah. Heady days during the Moral Monday movement. All right. So um, here is the uh, the questioning now of Reverend Barber. He was the first witness called at this uh, congressional committee. The threat a free exercise of the ballot by the Negro and white masses is what created a segregated society. This is what happened when the Negro and white masses of the South threatened to unite and build a great society, a society where greed and poverty would be done away with. The battle to suppress the vote and the battle to suppress labor rights has been the tactic used by the Southern white aristocracy to hold on to their money and their power. Martin Luther King, 1968. In the wake of this moment, an organized coup attempted emboldened by hate, lies, and racism on January the 6th, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol, the people of America and this Congress sit at the crossroads of a historic moment, calling for us to fight for the soul of our democracy and enact full protections of our sacred right to vote. By expanding voting rights and fully restoring the Voting Rights Act Section 5 preclearance, 
As we come together this morning, less than 100 days since the inauguration of a new American government, at least 361 bills have been introduced in 47 legislatures to suppress the right to vote. Okay, hang on. All right. There's just so much, there's so much wrong with this. 30, so 300 and some odd bills introduced. Anybody can introduce a bill in a legislature. That doesn't mean it has a snowball's chance in hell of passing. So this idea that just introduced legislation is automatically a signal of something is not true. Furthermore, are we to believe that every single state is on the cusp of, like, telling a whole group of people they can no longer vote? Is that what he's that, that's what he's alleging here, that that in 47 out of 50 states, which I would have to believe, then some of those are actually going to be controlled by Democrats. But I guess everybody is on board here with Jim Crow 2.0. In my state of North Carolina, we have labored for over eight years defending against an all out attack on voting rights in North Carolina. The majority that gained power in North Carolina General Assembly in 2010, they quickly redrew both state legislative districts and U.S. congressional districts in their favor, illegally <laughs> using race as a primary indicator of voters who oppose their agenda. After years of heroic fighting, both in the streets and in the courts, by the Forward Together Moral Movement, a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court would issue a remarkable per curiam decision striking down as a sweeping unconstitutional racial gerrymandering the maps that created an unaccountable legislative supermajority in the state house it was described by one judge as an unconstitutionally constituted legislature all right so let me just take the last couple of sentences here this guy i i loathe this man just for the record in case it's not clear just because this is what he does so the General Assembly, they quickly redrew districts in their favor, okay, as required by law, because that's the census year, 2010, the reapportionment. So they take over after the census in 2010 is conducted, and then they redraw the line. So it's not like they raced in there to do stuff surreptitiously. They're required to draw new districts by law. He then says, you know, illegally using race, uh, that, that they illegally use race. In fact, um, you're not allowed to, he says, uh, uh, race is a primary indicator of voters who oppose their agenda. Race was and is a factor in drawing maps. It cannot be the predominant factor. It cannot be the most important factor unless it has a compelling reason to be so. That was what Justice Elena Kagan wrote in the five to three decision. OK, Huffington Post, hardly a right wing rag, quote, Clarence Thomas, a conservative who disfavors race-based considerations in any context, took the highly unusual step of joining the Supreme Court's four liberal members in ruling against North Carolina. He wrote a short concurring opinion to note that the majority, quote, correctly applies our precedents under the Constitution and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Joined by Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Anthony Kennedy, Justice Samuel Alito wrote a partial dissent that took issue with how the majority was interpreting the Supreme Court's own case law dealing with District 12, which the court had vindicated in a prior ruling. Okay, this was the famous quote where he says uh, Alito wrote, 
that a precedent of this court should not be treated like a disposable household item, say a paper plate or a napkin, to be used once and then tossed in the trash. He said, the district's borders and racial composition are readily explained by political considerations and the effects of the legislature's political strategy on the demographics. Okay, because what happened here and Thomas joined the four lefties because uh, he's always opposed to this. So he's he's a consistent vote on this. He's like um, uh, he does not he does not want race based considerations in the drawing of the maps. Doesn't want it allowed. He's been consistent on that from the very beginning. Uh, And so when the liberals reverse themselves and now find themselves aligned with him, (laughs) now it becomes uh, a five to three decision because there was a seat vacant on the Supreme Court at the time, right? Uh, this was when Scalia passed away, I believe. So the the leftist judges changed the rules when they needed the rules to be different than the rules that they wrote previously. And Alito noted that this is a, there is difficulty in severing racial demographics from Democratic Party registration because like nine out of 10 black voters are Democrats. So drawing lines using party affiliation is going to look a lot like drawing lines based on race. After they got the ruling, by the way, Mark Elias, the Democrat lawyer, and all the lefties, they sued then to get partisan affiliation tossed out as a criteria as well. They went to the Supreme Court, who refused to hear the case, and then they, but the Supremes said, hey, you know, you could also uh, challenge these things under state constitutional grounds, and so they did, and the Democrats on the state Supreme Court Uh, ruled in favor of the Democratic plaintiffs, Mark Elias. The racial gerrymandering decision by the Supreme Court was then celebrated by Eric Holder, whose Justice Department had actually approved the very maps that were uh, being contested here. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and Roy Cooper also celebrated the decision, of course, um, who had maps uh, when he was in charge of doing this back in the legislative days in the 90s. He drew maps and he had done maps that uh, were declared unconstitutional gerrymanders uh, because of race as well. (laughs) So, right. They're now all about it. I am all about having good yard equipment, by the way, all about it. Having good yard equipment makes or any equipment actually for the job that you're doing. It makes the job so much easier. So if you got good yard equipment, it makes it a breeze so much easier to, you know, walk the perimeter, do the weed eating. And yes, I'm, I'm mentioning the weed eating because I just got a weed eater from general equipment rental. I don't even have a house yet, but I bought a weed eater. And I'm going to be using it when we move into our new house in a couple of months. And so really excited to use it. Like it's, I'm really jazzed. Anyway, I know I'm getting old and I'm a dude. So like that's, but I love good tools like that. Good power equipment and general equipment rental has got all of it for you, no matter how big or small the project. Go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, family owned and operated for three generations, and uh, they can hook you up with the right tools, whether you're buying or just looking to rent. If you are a residential uh, or a commercial uh, uh, entity, maybe you need your contractor and you need some big piece of equipment, they've got those too, like earth mover type size stuff. So head on over to General Equipment Rental or check out their website, generalrents.com. That's generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. Now, one of the other uh, comments that Barber keeps making here is this, uh, uh, that the legislature was uh, unconstitutionally constituted. In other words, because the maps got thrown out and those maps were used in the election that gave the Republicans their supermajority, that it's a 
Uh, it's a usurper legislative body. And the NAACP sued over this. Barber's NAACP, they sued over this and made this argument. And they got one judge, a single judge, to agree to this argument, agree with this argument. And that judge was later overruled. So here's the progressive pulse. Again, hardly a right-wing reg. This is NC Policy Watch's uh publication. A divided North Carolina Court of Appeals has reversed the ruling of a Wake County Superior Court judge who ruled that an unconstitutionally constituted legislature did not have the authority to alter the state constitution when it proposed adding voter ID and other constitutional amendments. This guy was uh, in the Superior Court Judge Brian Collins. He's the one who who agreed with this argument. It was overturned. It has been rejected by virtually Every court, every judge, everywhere, except this one guy. And this is the one that Barber, (laughs) of course, cites to the congressional panel. Um, Barber then um, connected the federal law on preclearance with voter suppression. And this is the case Shelby County versus Holder. And then in 2013, uh, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in Shelby versus Holder by eliminating Section 5. In just a matter of hours after the ruling was handed down, the unconstitutionally constituted extremist supermajority of the North Carolina General Assembly announced that because Shelby had rid them of the headache of the Voting Rights Act preclearance protections, they could now move forward with what we would become to know as the monster voter suppression law, a sweeping omnibus voter suppression bill that erected a slate of stringent racially discriminatory barriers to the ballot. The law eliminated same-day registration, pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds, out-of-precinct ballots the first week of early voting, and instituted one of the nation's most stringent voter ID laws. This monstrous voter suppression law, the worst of its kind in the nation after Shelby, was only possible because pre-clearance protection was no longer in place. After years of organizing and legal battles and even civil disobedience and the rest, the monster voter suppression law uh, was eventually struck down as intentionally racially discriminatory. In July 2016, a unanimous panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit held that the law targeted African-Americans with almost surgical precision and imposed cures for problems that did not exist. Okay, so now I need to get into a little bit of the Shelby County versus Holder. Um, This ruling and uh, see, I try to go to lefty sources on this stuff so I can give you. So it's like I'm going to use their arguments that they're making. So this is from Vox dot com from this is back in 2019, January 25th. The ruling invalidated a key portion of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um The court's conservative majority ruled that the government was using an outdated and unconstitutional process to determine which states had to have their voting rules approved by the government. So that's called preclearance. There are nine states. There are a bunch of other counties and townships that had been subjected to preclearance because they had a history of racist behavior and targeting voters and stuff, black voters, uh, trying to, you know, prevent them from voting. 
And so the feds came in in the Voting Rights Act and they said, uh, you cannot do that. And so if you want to make any kind of major changes to your laws, you're going to have to run it past us first. You're going to have to pre-clear your rule changes on anything election related or, well, major election related changes, as well as your maps. Send us your maps. We'll tell you if they're okay. which, again, this is what Eric Holder's Department of Justice did for North Carolina's 2010 maps. Okay, Uh, so this uh, pre-clearance process is in place. Um, A county, one county, Shelby County, Alabama, said, wait a minute, these requirements, these things are pretty old, okay? Now, there are two sections. There's Section 5, and then there is 4B, okay? And there's, all right, so I don't want to get too deep into the the weeds on this, but the uh, Section 5 says that states could be subjected to this preclearance, and then Section 4B created a formula that outlined the kinds of historical stories, right? The histories that uh, needed to be present in a jurisdiction. So you couldn't just be like, well, you know, I've heard some bad things about your state or your county. You had to you had to actually, you know, fit some descriptions of uh, bad histories. Okay, in 2010, Shelby County sues. It eventually gets to the Supreme Court a couple of years later. And what the uh, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in the majority opinion, it was a 5-4 ruling. Coverage today is based on decades old data and eradicated policies. And he said, while uh, racial disparities in voter registration and turnout was compelling evidence justifying the preclearance remedy and the coverage formula in 1965, he said there is no longer such a disparity. See, so the left twists this into some argument that like, oh, they say racism doesn't exist anymore. It's not what they're saying. They're saying that the formula you're using is old. And it doesn't apply anymore. The Shelby ruling gets slammed by the court's more liberal justices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she wrote in her dissent that, quote, throwing out preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work is like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. Um Vox.com goes on to say it's important to note the ruling itself does not find Section 5 unconstitutional. So it didn't find preclearance in general, like the process didn't find it unconstitutional it only focused on the formula so to resume using section 5 the court said congress needed to enact a different constitutional preclearance requirement but congress hasn't done that and here's the problem there's a fear that if they do they're they're going to end up sweeping up into the net a whole bunch of democrat states this is the this is the problem. Let me go over here to Carolina Journal Dallas Woodhouse. He says, should congressional Democrats choose to fix the coverage formula uh, in 4B, uh, the Voting Rights Act would again be in full force. However, from a political standpoint, this has proven practically impossible because a new coverage formula would no longer be focused on only the Deep South and would likely cover vast areas of the Democrat-controlled Northeast, which has had more than its fair share of complicated voting rights issues in the recent past. He's exactly right. That's why they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back and try to redo this formula. They just want to they just want to put the Republican states under this preclearance formula. That's what they're trying to do. That's the argument that they're not making, because to make that argument out loud, would kind of expose themselves as the hypocrites they are, right? It's pretty obvious, which, by the way, is why I suspect uh, that uh, Congressman Chip Roy's line of questioning of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson prompted such a 
wild reaction from the chairman of the committee. We're going to take a listen to that in a minute. First, I want to tell you about Rowena Patton. We're buying a house. I mentioned it earlier. Very excited about the weed whacker that I'm going to get to use. Um, We actually don't tell anybody, but we actually went over to the house site and walked around it the other day. It's pretty cool. We've been going by there. Again, I'm not supposed to be on the property, but we walked around the property and checked it out. It's really exciting. So uh, capture that excitement for yourself. If you're buying a house, she's got homes in all price points. We're uh, having ours built in a neighborhood, part of a bigger plan, and uh, she helped us with that process as well, asking questions we didn't even know we needed to ask. So, uh, And she you know, helped us line up our financing and everything else. If you are selling your house, she'll get it sold quickly and for more money. Same phone number, buying or selling, either way, 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. And uh, give her a call, tell her you heard it here on the program, uh, and then start packing. All right, so uh, Texas Congressman Chip Roy, he then gets into this issue of the preclearance and what the Supreme Court ruling was actually about. Spoiler alert, it's not what Reverend Barber's talking about. I'm always interested when we talk about this subject that people just sort of gloss over the history and they start throwing uh, negative commentary towards the Shelby County decision. But, and I know there are a number of members in this room who are here uh, for the debate uh, in 2006, uh, leading up to the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act at that time. I too was here as a staffer on the Senate Judiciary Committee. So I lived it. I lived through and read through all those volumes of papers. I went through all the analysis. And the fact is, as we put into the record in the additional views in the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, the fact is the formula that was being followed was an outdated formula that was 40 years old. It was being based on data from 1965, 1968, 1972, and it was not updated for the time in 2006 when this was passed. And that's clearly what the court said. Yet my colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to suggest that somehow this is all about perpetuating racism, it's about perpetuating uh, the harms that clearly existed, as the distinguished gentleman from North Carolina made very clear in his review of the history of what the Jim Crow South actually looked like. And listening now to my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, and I saw this happen and unfold in the Senate Judiciary Committee, where my friend Mike Lee was engaging with Senator Durbin, talking about Jim Crow 2.0. And I was just on the floor of the House of Representatives and we were talking about D.C. statehood and we're hearing the same thing about Jim Crow 2.0. We're talking about comparing the historic wrongs that occurred that this country worked hard to reform and fix and that the Voting Rights Act was so critical in doing in 1965. We're being seen that compared now to passing laws trying to make sure our election system can be believed and trusted and that voter identification can be used and that mail-in ballots have bipartisan agreement that they have higher rates of fraud, that maybe we should do something to ensure that we have trust and belief in those mail-in ballots. So Roy cited data that was current at the time when it was being debated, uh, showing voter registration among black residents in the states that were under the preclearance rule was actually higher than the black registration in states that were not under the preclearance rule. (laughs) So if the preclearance rule was meant to increase registration in targeted states and counties, then it obviously worked, right? The record when we put it in at the time in 2006, it is really important for people to note that when the Voting Rights Act was adopted, the average registration rate for black voters in the seven original covered states was only 29.3%. Today, that was 2006, the voter registration rate among blacks, for example, in covered jurisdictions is over 68%. 
higher than the 62% found in non-covered jurisdictions. There was examples where the counties in Florida, where there were covered counties and non-covered counties. Interestingly, we noted in the, case, in the uh, submission, while Florida has five counties that are subject to Section 5 coverage, none of these counties were implicated by the accounts of dis discrimination submitted to the record in 2006. Yet there were five non-covered counties in Florida that were pointed out in the list of accounts <laughs> that was produced in the record in 2006. All of this is arbitrary. Right. Everything that is being done is arbitrary, and that's why the court kicked it out. Right. That's the fact, and that's what we know. Now what do we have? The, the, the legislation being put forward now for voting rights uh, uh, authorization and, and expansion counts any change to a state's voter ID law as a mark against it. Do you hear that? The, the, the bill that the Democrats are trying to push through in Congress would count any change in voter ID law to be a mark against the state. That's the default. 36 states already have voter ID laws. That's what's being done. It's very specific. It's very purposeful. That's what's actually happening. The Voting Rights Act punishes states for improving the processes they use to clean up and maintain accurate voting rolls. They're making that an actual element, and they're trying to compare that, making sure that voting rolls, which have currently massive numbers of dead people registered, people who aren't in state, people who have moved, where you can't have faith in the voting rolls, somehow that is going to be equi uh, made equivalent to the Jim Crow South for which the Voting Rights Act was so important in 1965. And it undermines the Voting Rights Act. Right. To suggest, as Senator Durbin did, that if you oppose pre Section 5 preclearance and you opposed the absurdity of basing Section 5 preclearance on 40-year-old data, that somehow you're against the Voting Rights Act. That's what happens. Those are the political talking points. Okay. So then Congressman Roy tosses a softball question to Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. And and I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on them. Like, that's just, you know, that's what they do, right? They bring their preferred witnesses in and the Democrats go easy on their guys, Republicans easy on their guys. So uh, he throws the softball question to Mark Robinson. And what Robinson then says, apparently sends the committee chairman, Democrat Steve Cohen from Tennessee, sends him into what I can only really describe adequately as a flustered fury. And I'll just ask my... Uh, our witness and, and the lieutenant governor from North Carolina, if you could uh, help me understand, was the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution passed and moved by Republicans or Democrats? Now, Robinson does not have his mic right. on. And was the movement to be my, put your microphone on, sir. Uh, was that would be Republicans. <laughs> was the move for the 64 Civil Rights Act and 65 Voting Rights Act led heavily by Republicans or Democrats? That, that would be Republicans. <laughs> and so as we sit here today, and as we're being accused by many of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle of wanting to somehow perpetuate the Jim Crow South, when in fact what we're trying to do is perpetuate laws that you can believe in that you've so eloquently discussed, do you see any merit in that whatsoever? Absolutely not. And just can I, if I have a, a moment just to add something, uh, you <laughs> no. know, when you talk about that history, uh, that history is clear who stood on which side at every turn in history. It is clear. It's not even in dispute. And it's not in dispute now. What we want is integrity. We, we don't want power. We want integrity. We want the right thing to be done. We want to encourage citizens to be responsible. We want to have the best election system in the world, in the world third world countries, places like India where the poverty rate is staggering. They have to show that finger when they go vote. It's time that we modernize our election system in this country and stop playing all these silly games based on race. And please, stop using me as a black man as your pawn. And yes, I said it, to push your agenda. I'm sick of it. 
happened a long time ago in this country, and I'm tired. Chairman, I would uh, ask that the witness <laughs> answer the question. His time has expired. Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman. And so now what's Mr. happening Chairman. right now is that the chairman, Congressman Cohen, is uh, is like leaning back, screaming through his mask and his microphone is off and he keeps hammering the gavel and he's trying to get Congressman Hank Johnson uh, pulled up on the Zoom because Johnson is uh, joining via remote. And so he's trying to get him uh, online, but he hasn't turned his mic on. So he just keeps screaming and you can't hear what he's saying because he's behind the mask and he's kind of leaning back because he's looking up trying to see the video and he's like calling out to the people like, where's Hank Johnson? Just have a unanimous consent request for, to insert something. <laughs> Unanimous consent to insert something in the record. Consent request. Five minutes, Mr. Johnson. You've already said that we would we could enter that in the record. You said it in your opening, Mr. Chairman. And so what what is now happening is they're like, okay, well, uh, Congressman Roy has all of these documents from that Judiciary Committee, and this is very boilerplate. This is standard. It's like unanimous consent. Everybody's like, yeah, put it in the record. And so whenever you bring someone forward, like I, I've got all of this stuff, it's you know part of the testimony. I put it in the record. Everybody agrees, and you just kind of move on. But Cohen is so irate at what Robinson just said that he's gaveling down a unanimous consent request to just put the report in. And by the way, a couple minutes afterwards, he does do what, he what does change? do so. Mr. Johnson, can you hear me? <laughs> so we're not going to answer the record. He finally gets his mic on. And when he turns the mic on, you can see he like punches the button. He like jams it. And he like lifts his hands up with this big flourish afterwards. Like he's just so angry. So Republicans can't add anything minutes. in the record. I'm just so the, chair, the chairman doesn't want us to be able to insert stuff in the record. Maybe in a few minutes, but not right now. <laughs> oh, because okay, because when I had my time closing, I didn't want to insert it at the time inserted when I spoke. Mr. Johnson, we're going to go in proper order. You're recognized for five minutes. Oh my goodness! Well, oh, this is a great way to run a hearing. Impressive. <laughs> he's he's they can't I think get Mr. Him. Johnson's video is frozen. Yeah, his video is frozen. <laughs> Ms. Garcia, can you hear me? Oh, my goodness. I guess you can't. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. You're recognized for five minutes. All right. So that's how, <laughs> this is how Chip Roy's uh, questioning ended. And by the way, like I said, a couple of minutes after this, he does move for unanimous consent and he does allow it to be put into the record because that was those were the rules. You get to do that. But Cohen, like, I don't. I don't understand. Like, he just, he went nuts over this. Now, well, okay, I can kind of understand it because Lieutenant Governor Robinson had been saying a lot of this stuff for a good bit <laughs> before we got to that point. So uh, we're going to go back and recap and listen to the stuff that kind of drove Cohen to that point where he lost it, where he blew his stack. First, you need to get over to Old Grouch's military surplus, okay? If you spend any amount of time outdoors or you're into prepping or, uh, you know, home defense, uh, whatever the case is, you need to get to Old Grouch's because he's got tons of real U.S. military surplus. Uh, but these are, and so like really well built and, and great prices, cheaper than the big box stores. Um, and you know it's durable because it's American-made. And uh, the stuff like, you know, first aid kits that any prepper needs, uh, but also hikers 
and uh, you know hunters, if you uh, go out camping, if you're a fisherman, like you need to have uh, supplies, equipment for you know potential worst case scenario, especially if you're out hiking or something. Uh, you know you slip and fall, or somebody else in the in the party you know slips and falls, and you need to you know tend to them. Do you have a first aid kit? Probably not. A lot of people don't carry first aid kits for some reason. Also, he's got cool stuff like ammo cans and gun accessories, backpacks. Um, he gets body armor in regularly. He gets a lot of new stuff all the time. So you got to keep on checking back um, for all of the latest additions. Go to oldgrouch.com or swing on by the store on Main Street, downtown Clyde. Shops open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. All righty, so... Uh, let me see here. Let's start. Let, let me go back to the beginning here with um, the opening statement from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, because you're going to get a good sense of uh, all of his comments just from listening <laughs> to his opening statement in front of the congressional committee. I'm honored to sit before this committee and testify before this body on such an important topic, a topic that hits close to home for me. You see, I'm the first black lieutenant governor of North Carolina. And I hail from Greensboro, home of the Woolworth sit-ins, an epicenter of the civil rights movement. I grew up poor as the ninth of 10 children in a home marred by alcoholism, but I had a mother who was a strong woman of faith and she sustained us. She was also a woman who lived through the terribleness of Jim Crow and witnessed firsthand the sacrifices made by those to ensure that black voices would be heard in government. I know right now she is up in heaven smiling as I, she sees her son here sitting in this committee hearing. But today I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to talk about voter discrimination and election integrity. The subject of this hearing is the evolving landscape of voter discrimination, and it certainly has throughout our nation's history. Let me say that I am very proud of the history in this nation of my people. My people were put in the belly of ships bound in chains and endured the middle passage. My people were whipped, beaten, and sold as, pro as property during slavery. During Reconstruction and throughout Jim Crow, black people were intimidated, harassed, and even killed to keep them from having a voice in government. Symbols like chains, nooses, and burnt crosses are not just symbols of death, they are symbols of forced and coerced silence. The sacrifices of our ancestors so I could have the opportunity to become the first black lieutenant governor of my state, to see a black man sit in the White House for two terms, and for millions of us to be leaders in business, athletics, government, and culture, add up to an incredible story of victory. But today, we hear Georgia law being compared to Jim Crow, that black voices are being silenced, and that black voices are being kept out. How? By bullets, by bombs, by nooses? No, by requiring a free ID to secure the vote. Let me say that again, by requiring a free ID to secure the vote. How absolutely preposterous. Am I to believe that black Americans who have overcome the atrocities of slavery, who were victorious in the civil rights movement and now sit in the highest levels of this government cannot figure out how to get a free ID to secure their votes? that they need to be coddled by politicians because they don't think we can figure out how to make our voices heard. Are you kidding me? The notion that black people must be protected from a free ID to secure their votes is not just insane, it is insulting. Just a few days ago, excuse me, uh, uh, 
And let me tell you something about this. This is, doesn't have anything to do with justice. This has everything to do with power. Just a few days ago, vice the vice president went to the very place that I mentioned, the Woolworth counter in Greensboro. But you know who wasn't there? You know who wasn't invited? My good friend Clarence Henderson, who is a civil rights icon. He sat at that counter and endured the suffering and pain to make sure that black voices were heard. And why was he left out? Because he's of a different political persuasion. You might ask why this is so, and I'll tell you plainly. The goal of some individuals in government is not to hear the voices of black Americans at all. It's to hear the voices that fit their narratives and ultimately help keep power with one group. And that's what this all is all about. It's about power. Just look at HR1, it's despicable. The entire thing is designed to keep one party in power and ensure they stay there indefinitely. And how do they plan to do that? By taking away the rights of states given by the Constitution to govern their own elections, to mandate a wish list, a partisan, a partisan wish list that comes down from that federal government. Some of these items include using government dollars to fund campaigns in order to give an advantage to one party, mandating that felons are allowed to vote, including illegal immigrants on voter rolls, and of course, trying to ban states from having voter ID. The last thing I'll say is this. Many people know that I'm a strong proponent of the Second Amendment, and I always will be. I believe that the right to keep and bear arms should always be available to law-abiding citizens. But the first line of defense in maintaining the integrity of the Second Amendment is having an ID to show and requiring that ID when you purchase that firearm. In the same way, I believe that voter ID is our first line of defense for protecting the integrity of the right to vote. And that's what this should be about. It should be about integrity, not power. Thank you. All right, we'll return to some audio from the committee hearing in a minute. First, Mattress Man celebrates spring with a free box spring at Mattress Man stores. Get a free box spring when you buy a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. Inspired by our very own local landmark, Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection with its luxurious design, its blend of old world craftsmanship, and New World exclusive technology. It's made by Restonic. It's got edge-to-edge sleep surfaces, maximum adjustability. It's got five zones, support zones, so it keeps your spine aligned and you get optimal uh, balance between your pressure points, which provides relief and support. So uh, all of this means a healthier, more restorative sleep. And uh, why wait for a new mattress at all? Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for all qualified applicants. They've got tons of flexible financing options. Go to mattressmanstores.com, click the financing link, apply, get pre-approved. You can do it right now. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. All right, so next up is uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, Louisiana Republican, who asked if there was rampant voter discrimination occurring. Because we hear Democrats say there's no widespread voter fraud, so any effort uh, uh, to secure elections that Republicans are proposing is you know, just racist and unnecessary. Uh, well, if there's no widespread voter discrimination, then what's the real reason for opposing election integrity measures like voter ID? Having that ID to vote puts up that first firewall 
to create the integrity that we need for our elections. And I, I just can't express, <laughs> let me even tell you a story. I'm a, I'm a father-in-law who was in prison for 43 years, a black man in prison for 43 years. Very first thing he did when he got out of prison was get a driver's license. Where is this no access to IDs that exist? Why do we look at poor people and brown people and think that they're less than and that they can't figure out how our systems work? They can't figure out where the DMV is. They can't figure out where this agency is to go down and get this ID that is being offered. I can't express to you how insulting this is for someone to look at me and actually say that the reason why we need or don't need IDs to vote is because you and your people can't find your way down to get one, that there are restrictions somehow. The notion is absolutely asinine and ridiculous. So I would say absolutely unequivocally not. There are, there's no rampant uh, uh, discrimination against voters. There's none. There's, there doesn't exist. I mean, in some corners it might exist, sure. In some, some far off place, maybe once or twice somewhere, somebody might be in someone's mind. But a systematic, a systematic effort to suppress the votes of black people, that is preposterous. It's just as preposterous as the notion that as a black American, I can't get a free ID to vote. Thank you for that. Clarity and conviction. Let me ask you another question. The election clause of the Constitution, federal Constitution, gives state legislatures the authority, as you know, to prescribe the times, places, and manner of holding elections within their jurisdictions. The Constitution thus leaves it to the states to administer elections within their boundaries. Let me ask you, from your perspective as a lieutenant governor, are states still best situated to determine how to run elections, or should we just federalize this whole thing and put Congress in charge? A absolutely. The states should remain in charge because... From my vantage point, we're looking at a bill here that's 880 pages, some 880 pages uh, of a partisan, uh, unconstitutional power grab. You know, the federal government, there are a lot of things in here that they'll argue and say, oh, it's just, uh, it's just, we're just insinuating this. We understand how that works with the federal government. There's an insinu insinu insinuation, and then there's a request, and then there's a demand. We need to stop it at the insinuation. We need to stop this at the insinuation that somehow the people in Washington, D.C. know better than the people in North Carolina. You do not. And we will not tolerate it. Everybody over here is saying amen. This is some refreshing common sense, isn't it? Let me ask you one more question. We only have 40 seconds or so. When it comes to voting, do you believe we need to give citizens greater responsibility when exercising their right to vote? Absolutely. Again, I said I'm a huge proponent of the Second Amendment, but the very first thing with the Second Amendment is that ID that you show when you go to have that, uh, buy that firearm. But there's something I tell everybody before you partake of the Second Amendment, you need to take like, a look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I responsible enough to own a firearm? And if the answer is no, don't buy one. When it comes to voting, you have six, four years for president, six years for Senate, two years, two years for uh, House of Representatives. I have complete confidence in the people of the United States of America and the people of my state that in those two, four, or six years, they can do due diligence, get that ID, find out where they're voting, make a date, and be there on the date. I have full and complete confidence in them that they can do that. And I think the rules should reflect that. Hallelujah, and thank you for being there. Here, I yield back. Then Congressman Dan Bishop asked Robinson if voter ID is the same as Jim Crow laws. 
Democrats have characterized state laws uh, adopting photo ID, like Georgia, which really liberalized just about everything about its voting system except to require consistent uh, use of voter ID recently. And uh, Democrats have characterized that as Jim Crow 2.0. And you just heard the chairman a moment ago um, attempt to draw an equivalence between uh, the old uh, uh, beans in a jar, guess how many there are as a means of depri depriving blacks of the right to vote in Jim Crow right. as the same thing as voter ID. Right. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand the logic. And, you know, a lot of folks are saying that this is not, a, not, not just about voter ID. Let's go ahead and cut down the brass tax. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's about voter ID because we understand that voter ID is that first line of defense in maintaining election integrity. It's the same way if someone came in here and said, hey, let's get rid of ID requirement to buy firearms. Boy, this place would go crazy because we know that'd be ridiculous. So it is, it's about that. It's about the, the voter ID laws. Uh, but that notion uh, that this is somehow Jim Crow. Uh, you know, I think some folks need a history lesson about what happened during Jim Crow. During Jim Crow, it wasn't just a poll tax. It wasn't just a bean, a jar of beans. Guess how many jars of beans in it? If you stepped outside the line during Jim Crow, you'd find yourself swinging from a tree or buried somewhere behind somebody's barn or all cut up or burned out of your house. Requiring an ID to vote is just simple American responsibility. In our state, I call it common sense legislation for the common good. Keeps us all honest. And to say that somehow poor people, black people, can't be involved in that responsibility, again, is insulting. It's insulting. And so uh, I, I completely agree with you that uh, it's not the same thing not even close, not even on the same scale. It's not even in the same arena. Lieutenant Governor Robinson, uh, in North Carolina in 2018, the voters of North Carolina amended our state constitution by a fairly overwhelming vote to require photo ID. And since that time, an enabling law passed by the General Assembly, which goes well beyond, sir, what you said you would uh, considered to be valid ID. Absolutely. It includes student IDs. Absolutely. It even has been amended to include the ID of someone holds that they receive public assistance are all allowed. Absolutely. But a judge, but judges have delayed the effectiveness of that law on the grounds that it is racist. What do you say to that, sir? I'd say to that it's a perfect, it's a perfect example of what's going on here today. We have a few elitists who believe that they know better than the people of the state of North Carolina. A few people, Two or three judges that said, I know that 55, 60% of the people of North Carolina said they won't vote voter ID, but I don't think so, and I'm a king, and I know better than you, so I'm going to strike that law down. That's the same thing we see going on in this chamber right now. That's the same thing we see with HR1. Folks who sit high, look low, say, I know better than you. I know your state better than you. I know your people better than you. I'm going to make the decisions for you. Again, not going to happen. Not going to happen. That old saying, not going to happen, Captain, it's alive and well in North Carolina. It's not going to happen. Lieutenant Governor Robinson, uh, 
Reverend Barber says in North Carolina has been a continuous since 2010, the worst voter suppression campaign laws have been passed and implemented. Sir, how did you become the first black lieutenant governor elected in this past election if the people of North Carolina through their elected representatives are working to suppress voters of African-American? Uh, it, it's not about voter suppression. I'm gonna tell you what my campaign was about. My campaign was about suppressing the lies from the left. That's what it was about. And when I told the people of North Carolina the truth, they heard it and they came running and they pushed my name. And not just white people, but all people that believe in our message. And again, I'm gonna reiterate this statement one more time. What is going on in this room right now is all about this right here and the power grab that it ensues. Starting to kind of make sense why Congressman Cohen lost his mind. <laughs> on this. Then there's, check out this uh, trap that uh, Representative uh, Jamie Raskin tried to spring on uh, Robinson. Should you support the use of photo ID for all voters in all circumstances? And then do you support the use of uh, photo ID, driver's license, for all firearm purchases? Uh, yes, sir, in both, I do. Okay, so, so you would support HR 8, the universal violent criminal uh, voter, uh, rather, um, firearm purchase law, which is being opposed by Republicans in Congress. I just want to make sure you're, you're on our side. On <laughs> love this. Love the bait and switch thing here. I love it. It's great. Fantastic. Oh, well, you're sorry. leaving out a myriad of things that that bill covers, sir. So we're not even we're not even going to discuss that because you're leaving out a myriad of things. I'm talking about a common sense issue of making sure we don't sell guns to people who have been adjudicated legally. We're not talking about a bill. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. The governor said that he supported the use of photo ID for all firearm purchases. That's precisely the purpose of HR 8, which says we will close the internet loophole, we will close the private gun show loophole, and we will close the private gun sale loophole. And I just wanna make sure he's been consistent in his argument. He wants it for everybody trying to vote and everybody trying to get a firearm. He wants a photo ID to be used, correct? I believe that all FFL should have, should require, all FFL should have, require an ID no, no, when no, people are coming in to purchase a firearm. You support, I, I think the logic of your argument is that we should have universal use of photo ID for the purchase of firearms. At least you based your entire argument about why we should do voting that way on firearms. So I just wanted to make sure that's your position. Uh, Reverend Barber, which wasn't his position, but kudos to Robinson for not only laughing at him to his face, but making the point that this was a bait and switch uh, argument, which it was. All right. Well, that's a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for hanging out and listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, go to the Pete Click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Uh, we'll talk with you later and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>